thank you guys for having me. Um, Abuna asked me to uh, give a talk on the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so then I told him that uh, I don't think I've ever given a talk like that. So then he sent me a recording of a talk I gave on that. And it was a few years ago, so I listened to the talk, and I'm like, this is a really good talk. I don't remember any of these things. So then I started listening to my own talk and writing it down. I'm like, I'm just going to plagiarize my own talk because I don't remember half the stuff I said. So most of the stuff I say, I make up right there on the spot. So that's why it... Uh... But anyway, I found some slides. I put together some things uh, and some quotes. So this is a, a great book. This is an author named Father Jacques Philippe. Has anyone heard of this guy? He did Interior Freedom. He's really quite amazing. Quite, quite amazing. And his quotes are so impactful and so deep and so profound. So I highly recommend any books by Father Jacques Philippe. He's, he's really remarkable. So he wrote this book in the School of the Holy Spirit. And so I plagiarized some of the quotes from him. But I also have a, a, a back end that I want to add to this, um, this talk. And uh, I kind of want to try it on you guys and, and get your reaction a little bit. Um, no, I won't say anything. Okay. Um, when I get there, maybe I'll be in the mood. Um, so the, let me just, uh, let's, let's focus on this, the spirit of God, the spirit that makes us human. It makes us what we are. And the spirit permeates every part of us as people, right? It's what, it is what moves us to become Christians, right? And Jesus said, I will send you the Holy Spirit, the comforter, Right? And and he's the one who changes us and works within us. So we live in the spirit. We're created to live by the spirit. Um, and the spirit convicts us to repent, to start over. It encourages us. And in fact, the one thing Jesus said, he says, you know, if you can, you can say whatever you want against me, that will be forgiven. But any blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Right. And you're kind of like, you know, what does that mean? Well, if the spirit's job is to make me repent when I blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it means I don't want to repent. I don't want God. And, and that's the one thing that can't be forgiven. That's the one thing God can't undo, right? When I don't want you. Because when you say, I don't want you, there's nothing I can do with that as God. Because I have to give you this free will and you have to accept me. And I knock at the door and you have to open the door. And that's the way it works. And that's when we become like a demon, Right? Because if you look at the demons, the demons know God's there. They know they're in, he's in existence. Right? There's no proof of God problem. Right? But what the demons don't want is they don't want to accept God. And so this is basically what St. Paul's telling us. Right? He says like, things like, do not quench the Spirit. So the Spirit's inside of us. And we know what the Spirit looks like. Right? On the day of Pentecost, we saw it. Right? It's fire. And that's that fire that's inside of us. And all of us have this fire. And the only thing we do is we quench it. Right? We douse it. We pour water on the fire. And ultimately, the only thing we have to do as Christians, and I'll talk more a lot more about this, is just don't put water on the fire. Get out of the way. Stop ruining God's work in yourself. And that's really our work as Christians. Just get out of the way. Okay. I'm going to read you this quote and tell me what you think. Holiness is the work of human beings. That what we need to do is have a clear program of perfection, set out to work with courage and patience, 
and achieve it little by little. And literally, that's all there is to it. Right? And what do you guys think of this approach, right? Where there's, we, have, we put out a, a program, we say, you know, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and achieve this, and I want to read this much, and I want to, you know, fast this much, and I want to, you know, stop this sin, and I want to start doing more of these a- acts. And I work at it slowly and patiently until I achieve it. And this is holiness. What do you think? I think this is a wide spread mistaken belief. Right? This is not correct. This is what a lot of people think, that I have to set out to become holy. I have to do things and that will make me holy. I will achieve holiness. And there's two problems with this. The first thing is we can't do it alone. You can't achieve holiness alone, which I'll talk about in a second. And we don't know what our road is to achieve holiness. So let's talk about those. It is impossible to attain holiness by our own power. The whole of Scripture teaches us that it can only be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit. Right? Think about a fruit. Right? I take a, 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 a plum seed, right? a peach seed, and I put it in the ground. I'm the farmer. Okay? And then out of this little seed comes a tree. And then out of this tree comes a, a peach the peach, that's a miracle, right? If the farmer thinks he created a peach, farmer's nuts, right? The farmer took a thing and he stuck it in the ground and he put water on the thing. He did stuff. He pulled weeds, he pulled rocks, he maybe tilled the soil, but he didn't make a peach. He can't make a peach, right? He can put a thing in the ground and put dirt on it and fertilizer, but you can't make a fruit, Right? And, and the fruit is the work of the Holy Spirit. So I can do stuff and I can think I'm all that. You know, I, I put the seed in the ground. I put water on it. But that peach, that's a miracle. And only God creates those. Okay? That's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? And St. Paul reiterates, say, the thing I will to do what's right, I can't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I do. And so we don't have the power to become saints by our own uh, by our own power. We don't do that. That's not how it works. We have to learn how to let God make us into saints. We have to learn how to let him work. Right? And when you look at like the Igbeya in the last, uh, you know, in the conclusion of every hour in the Igbeya, right, we have this, you know, these little prayers we say, sanctify our souls, make chaste our bodies, correct our thoughts, purify our intentions, heal our sickness, remit our sins. You guys know this part? Every translation is different, right? But look at the direction, Right? You know, it's God do to me, correct my thoughts, purify my intention, heal my sickness. Okay? So our, our efforts, and we have a lot of efforts, they have to be directed at the right thing. It's not, I want to become holy. Right? We have to fight, and the fight isn't to attain holiness as a result of my actions, but to let God in me without me putting up any resistance against him. I can't push back. And so the fight isn't to make myself holiness, to make myself holy. The fight is against myself to get out of the way so that God can make me holy. The fight is not to resist. And we resist a lot, right? Because God sends us the things and the things aren't always pleasant. We push back. I'll tell you guys, I was um, 
I was running and I got injured. My ha- I, I pulled a hamstring, right? So I went to the PT and she was, you know, she starts feeling in the hamstring and then she, she finds the spot, right? And as soon as she finds it and she starts to push on it because she has to break up the scar tissue and get in there and, and do her thing, I immediately tense up, right? And I clench every muscle in my body, right? And she had to stop and go, don't push against me, right? You just have to relax. And I had to breathe and let her do her thing, right? Which is find the spot that hurts the most and then push on it. And as soon as I stopped tensing against her, she could work. But as soon as I kept pushing, she couldn't, right? And this is what we do with God all the time. He tries and we just, we push back. Right, And the, th- the funny thing is with each other, we give each other really good advice. You just need to leave this up to God. You need to pray. Don't worry so much. God will take care of all. Right? We're really good with each other. We can give anyone else great advice, especially about their kids. And then when it's your kids, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. This is my kid. I got to take care of this situation. Right? I'm not going to let this happen. Right? I'm going to fix this. Right? Mama bear and daddy bear come out. Right. And, and I'm going to, you, know, you can leave God over there. Right. I'm, I'm going to handle this myself. Right? And so we push, we push back and we don't let God do. And that's the fight. That's the fight we have. The fight is against me. The fight is get out of the way. Skip that one. So St. Seraphim has this quote on the acquisition of the Holy Spirit in his very famous book. He says, however important prayer, fasting, vigil, and all the other Christian practices may be, they do not constitute the aim of our Christian life. And this is very important. We have a lot of practices in the church. We do a lot of things. We attend a lot of services. We have a lot of rituals. It's very, 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 very important that we realize this is not the aim Christian life. The aim is not to do the things. That's not Christianity. That's a different religion. Although it is true that they serve as an indispensable means of reaching this end, the true aim of our Christian life consists in the acquisition of the Holy Spirit of God. And these things are only means of acquiring the Holy Spirit. When I look at fasting and prayer and vigil and all these things, what is that? That's the fight against myself so that I can get out of the way, so that there's less me and more him, right? And, you know, fasting is a perfect example, right? Many times we think the fast is the thing, right? I mean, my job is to not have, you know, is to eat tamea for 55 days. And if I can achieve that faithfully, God's looking at me like, yeah, he killed it every day, tamea. Wow, what a righteous person. He loves Tameya. Right? And so it's ridiculous. Right? So what is, what's the point of that? Well, the point is the battle is against me. The battle is against my own ego, what I want, what I desire. Right? Because if you look at life, life's full of disappointment, isn't it? Life's full of, you know, I wish I had this, but I'm going to have that. Right? I wish I had this husband, but I got that husband. I wish I had these kids, but I have that, those kids. I wish I had this job, but I have that job. I wish I had this kind of boss, but I have that kind of boss. I wish I had these kind of subordinates, but I have these kind of subordinates. Right? Life is full of this. Right? 
And so fasting in the church's wisdom is just going to give you this really small thing and say, you know, we're going to practice doing real Christian things with food. I wish, you know, I want that food, but I'm going to have this food. And I'm going to learn to be okay with that, right? And that's not the thing that matters. What really matters is I'm, I wish I had that husband, but I've got this husband, and I'm going to be okay with it. Right? And I'm going to learn to die to myself just a little bit and not have the thing that I want that will satisfy me. I'm going to have the thing that's in front of me, and I'm going to accept it with gratitude. And so the church is teaching us this is a this is a an ascetic practice, a disciplining mechanism, a way to strengthen my muscle so that when the real Christian battle comes, I have some strength to do it. So that's the first thing is God does, not us. The second thing is we don't know what our road is. So there are so many different roads to holiness. And when you look at the icons in the church, which you guys don't have yet, but you're going to have, at least you don't have Jewish things anymore. That's good. Small baby steps. Um, you'll see that every one of the saints has a different story. And that's perfect. Right? And in fact, everyone should have a different story. How many different stories are there? Seven billion and counting. Right? And God wants you to understand that you're that unique. Right? And that you're so unique that he goes out of his way to do these little things in creation that are just amazing, like give us all unique fingerprints, which is just like really hard to do. Mathematically on a computer, hard to do. But he does, right? And these are these little touches God gives us to say, you know what, you are that individual, that unique. Your calling is not like the calling to the person next to you. Yeah, you're both married with two kids. You're the same age. You grew up in the same church. You went to the same Sunday school class. You guys know the same hymns, but your calling and his calling are different. And you're not supposed to come to me the same way. And when you look at all the saints, each one has a different story completely. And so for God, each person is absolutely unique. Holiness is not the realization of a given model of perfection, something that we kind of push sometimes in the church. Pray, Egbeya, pray like this, fast like this. There's no given model. Everyone prays the way they need to pray. We see this in the saints, so many different models. To reach holiness, we cannot be content merely to follow general principles that apply to everyone. We also need to understand what God is asking of us in particular, which he may not be asking of anyone else. And so sometimes we find ourselves that we're struggling over here, but God wants us to struggle over there. Right? And I'm rowing really hard on the right. And he's like, no, you should be rowing on the left. You, can, you still need to row. You're just rowing in the wrong place. And sometimes I'm rowing because I have an ego. Right? And I want to be the guy who's, you know, knows a lot of, uh, you know, patristics. And so I'm learning, learning all these patristics so I can be the guy. Because in my mind, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that says, hey, let's go ask Archie about you know, Saint, what St. Saint John Chrysostom said in the 4th century. But that may not be what God's calling me to do. In fact, I had a personal experience with this. My father is a Buntunis Hanin. You know, he's a priest. He was the priest at St. Mary's for many, many years. And he was a scholar. And I grew up in college, and I, and I just wanted to be like him. And so I fancied myself a scholar. So I bought a ton of books and I would read a ton and I would learn all this stuff because I wanted to be like him. And then when I moved to California, there's a person who's now a priest 
who actually is a scholar. And so I had them come to my house and I said, you can take any book you want. They're all yours. And he looked at me like I was nuts. He's like, these books are really expensive. You have, you know, series that are out of print. You have series that, you know, never before, blah, blah, blah. These, this book here is $150. I'm like, take it all. And he asked me why I was giving him all my books. And I said, I'm not a scholar. I wanted to think I was. I imagined myself to be, but I wasn't. You are. This is your gift. This is your calling. This is who you are. Take the books, read them, give the talks. That's not my thing. I wished it was my thing, but I realized it's not my thing. It's not how God called me to serve. So sometimes we, we think we're doing God's service, but we're actually doing our own service, serving my own ego, my own image of how I want to be perceived, how people should look at me, how should people should talk about me. And it's not what God's looking for. Okay, well, kind of said that. And so how do we get this grace? He says, each act of fidelity to an inspiration is rewarded by more abundant graces, especially by more frequent and stronger inspirations. When we profit from an inspiration that our Lord sends, he then sends another, and thus our Lord continues his grace as long as we continue to profit from them. So first of all, when I talk about inspirations, what am I talking about? I mean, like talking about a miracle, skies open before me, no. God gives us inspirations all the time, all the time. God is constantly giving us little inspirations, little messages, little things he wants us to do, little graces. And the question is, how do you react when you get the little grace? Right? And what he's saying here is when we profit from something, he sends us more. Right? You can imagine, you know, say I give a little kid a cookie. Right, he takes a cookie, crumbles it up, and throws it at his sister. Right, no cookie for you. Right, that's the end of cookies for the day. Right, and you go a week, maybe a little longer, no cookies until you figure out how to appreciate cookies. Right? But if I give, you know, some kid, you know, a cookie or two cookies, and then he takes one cookie, gives it to his sister, one cookie, gives it to his brother, and says, "Thank you, daddy, that was so sweet." I'd be like, first of all, whose kid is this? Second of all, here's five cookies." Right? Take yourself out. Right? You clearly know what you're doing. Right? And this is how God is with us. He gives us these little things and he sees, do I grab? Do I hoard? Do I show off? Do I take the cookie and show it to other people? Look what I have and you don't have. Look how much better I am than you. I take the cookie and I give it to everyone around me and I share whatever God has given me. And then God says, oh, time for more. Right? And so this is our relationship. It's the same relationship we have with our kids, right? We, we give them more and more as we trust them more and more as more and more they can handle. I don't give some kid the key to the pantry, right? Because that's going to destroy them, right? So no wise parent does that, right? But slowly we give and slowly we watch the kids and we see how they react and how they learn. And then we give them more and more. And when they abuse it, which they will eventually, we pull back a little bit and we teach them, no, oh, that was not okay only out of love, only because we don't want them to hurt themselves. These motions of the Spirit, even though unfortunately they have little place in the lives of many Christians, are not something exceptional in themselves, but are part of the normal functioning of the spiritual life. 
They are all the time, these motions of the spirit, and learn to react to them and learn to feel them. You know, the, the little a little inkling in your heart to text someone. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've done that and someone says, oh my God, I can't believe you just texted me right now. I needed this text. It's like, oh, I just felt it and I did it. So God's always doing this to us. React to them, right? And he says, even though unfortunately they have little places in the lives of many Christians, many of us think this isn't for us. This is for the saints. Not true. It's for all of us all the time. And God is constantly working in all of our lives. And St. Paul says this, those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. We have to live by the Spirit. Let us also walk by the Spirit. And that's what we see in the lives of so many Christians, so many saints, but so many people around us. Every little thing is a movement of the Spirit. Every little thing is, what does God want me to do right now? Every conversation, how does God want me to respond? What should I say? You know, I'm in a difficult spot. I'm talking to someone. I don't know what to say. And I just say a little prayer. Right? This is this is the movement of how we're supposed to live as Christians. All right, so now I want to get to the, the other stuff. This is all spiritual stuff, but it's, I want to talk about the opposite of the spirit. And I I I talk about this because um I'll just be frank. I, I heard a talk the other day it just it shocked me it was by someone who gave a talk to a bunch of youth and i have to say that i i don't think i've ever disagreed with everything someone has said before for 45 minutes i mean within five minutes i needed my blood pressure medication and it was just go go from there right it was attacking uh, Catholics, it was attacking Protestants, it was talking about how we're right and they're wrong and how our church is better and we don't allow these profane, ugly things in our church like the other people do and everything in our church is holy. And it was the most self-righteous talk I'd ever heard. And every, everyone I've sent that talk to is like, this is disgusting. And the youth at that particular talk had to be talked down from the ledge Several of whom are like, yeah, I don't think I'm coming back to this place again. And they're right. They shouldn't. I wouldn't. And so the look that those Pharisees have, as you can see behind me, gosh, that look looks familiar, doesn't it? That's when we get a church. So the question is, what did the Pharisees do wrong? It's a question. Well, it's clear that Jesus was real up on sinners and real down on Pharisees. He really loved the sinners, and he didn't go after the sinners. Gentle, tub tub. If you you know if if, if that word was in the Bible, it, it should be there, right? He was just tub tubbing on all the sinners, loving them. You're caught in adultery, no problem. I don't judge you either. Right? Just real lovey dovey. Right? But then when the Pharisees came along, strong words, harsh words, angry words, right? And he would look in their hearts and he'd say, let me tell you what you're thinking and let me respond to it, right? And he let him have it. And so the Pharisees, you know, I mean, Jesus has the seven famous woes, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, woe to you for this and this. 
And, you know, you, you read them, you know, and, and the one that I think sticks out is, you know, they did, they followed a few human traditions, right? They, he said, you know, you swear by the gold on the altar and not by the altar. Well, what's more important, the altar, the gold on the altar, right? And so obviously that's a human invention that you guys kind of created. That's not great. But when you think about the Pharisees, you have to say to yourself, didn't they do everything right? I mean, they did it right. And who are they following? God. God told them to do this stuff, didn't he? And they did. Didn't they? In fact, they're the only ones who did. They were doing everything God told them to do. And they're the only ones doing it. So what did they do wrong? Technically nothing. So is it possible that you're always right and that you're so right that you're so wrong? Yeah. And that happened in the Coptic Orthodox Church every day. You should hear the talk I just listened to. So if once, once the church come, it becomes about being right, how right we are, and how wrong everyone else is, we're in this, this place real fast. And very quickly, being right becomes the absolute wrong thing to do. So let's think about what they did. They followed everything God told them to do. So why all the condemnation? So these are the big woes. Father Seraphim has this great quote. He says, no matter how right you may be on various points, you must be diplomatic. Also, the first and important thing is the right is not rightness at all. Christian love and harmony. Most crazy converts, and I'm going to add, take out converts. They have converts in the Russian church. We don't have those yet because we drive them away still. But we'll get them eventually. Um, I'm just going to add crazy uncles and tons here. So just take out converts and put tons and uncles, okay? Most crazy converts have been right in the criticism that led to their downfall. They were lacking in Christian love and charity and so went off the deep end, needlessly alienating people around them and finally finding themselves alone in the rightness and self-righteousness. Do not follow them. And so you can be right all the way till the cows come home and be absolutely missing the mark of what Christianity is all about. And when you live in a church with a lot of rules, it's a problem because everyone loves to follow the rules and everyone believes like the Pharisees did that the righteousness comes from the rules. That was the downfall of the Pharisees. You see, being righteous is very hard. Loving another person, very hard. Not judging another person, very hard. Loving your neighbor as yourself, very hard. So that stuff sucks. I don't want to do that stuff. So what do I do? I take righteousness, which is hard to do, and I make it easy. Right? You ever see a, a, you know, kids playing where they, they try to jump over a stick, right? And then you have to hold the stick higher and higher and you see if you how, you know, who can jump over it. And then you get this little kid, he'll run up, and right at the last moment, he realized he can't make it over the stick. It's too high. So he'll stop and he'll push the stick down. And then he'll jump over it. And I think that's what we do with our Christianity. 
You see, the real stuff is too hard to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fast Wednesdays and Fridays. I'm going to come early to church. I'm going to come before the gospel. I'm going to dress as a deacon. I'm going to learn these hymns. I'm going to do all these things that are really quite easy and silly. But I'll do them because I can't do the real stuff. I can imagine if I said to someone, you know what, I need you to right now to imagine that one person in your life who you really don't like, who's really screwed you over, the person who stabbed you in the back, the person that hurt you the most. I want you to think of them. And now for 55 days, I want you to do nothing but love them. Forgive them. Pray for them. I want you to call them. I want you to apologize to them. And I want you to say, hey, do you need any help? Do you need me to help you move? Do you need me to come over at one o'clock in the morning and help with your broken pipe? You know, that person that hates you, that you hate. I want you to do that. What would you say? You'd say, give me some Tamea. I'll eat all the Tamea you want. Never. Not talking to that guy. Not talking to her. Not after what she did. Not after what he did. Give me Tamea. Because the Tamea is easy. What I just described is nearly impossible. And so what we do is we take righteousness and we make it easy. Something I can beat. Something I can win at. And that's what the Pharisees did. It's not that they obeyed God. They should obey God. It's that they thought that when they did those things, it made them righteous. And that's the problem. Those things don't make us righteous. And breaking those things don't make us sinners. If I break my fast, am I sinning? Not really. Because the fast isn't the thing. In Islam, the fast is the thing. And breaking the fast is a sin. But that's a different religion. In Christianity, the fast is an ascetic practice that I take on. It's not the thing. It's not sin or not sin. It's like working out. It's like building a muscle. I do it so I get stronger so that when I get a real trial in my life, I'm stronger and I can actually handle it with a stronger will. I want to play this for you guys. I don't know if you can hear it. Let's see. So I'm I'm sorry, this is in Arabic. How many people here speak Arabic? How many people don't speak Arabic? Okay, a few. I'm uh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna play this for you. Then I'll and I'll translate it. If you don't know who this is, this is Abuna Tedros Malati. If you don't know who Abuna Tedros Malati is, he's a legend. He served with Abuna Bishoy Kamil. He's probably the ultimate scholar in the, in the Coptic Orthodox Church. He's probably one of the most spiritual people ever. He is one of the shiuch of the church. Right? There isn't a bishop who didn't, who didn't read his books. He's written hundreds of books in Arabic and in English. <coughs> And this is the Eid, and it's COVID. As you can see, people have masks and they're, and they're spacing out. And before the liturgy started for the Eid, which is going to be broadcast at home, he gave the deacons a message. I want you to hear this message. It's in Arabic, unfortunately, but I'll translate it for you. <laughs> شعب كله يتفزر بيسمع ويدير بيدير أنا بيدير بيدير 
Did you hear that? Everyone looks on the internet for a hymn that no one else knows, and then you guys have competitions over who knows more hymns. Do you know what that means? That is a complete failure of the church. That's perfect. He's exactly right. And he said the people at home, they want to pray. The people at home want to pray. And if you guys are going to come here and say a bunch of things that you don't even understand, oh, thank you so much. Then this is a complete failure of the church. Continue. He said, he said, is the church preaching Christ or are we preserving our rituals? And he said, if you want to preserve rituals, go preserve rituals in your own house. Right? Because once, once people say things like, no, no, we have to preserve the church. We have to preserve the heritage. We have to preserve the rituals. You have to ask yourself, did you say the word Jesus in any of those sentences? Did you talk about a personal relationship with Christ? Did you even talk about Christianity? Or are you talking about preservation of rituals, of history? That is not the church's job. That's not what we do here. The church is a hospital for repentance. Christ said, I am the doctor, I'm the true physician. He didn't say preserve heritage. The only people that said preserve heritage are these guys. And they're really good at it. In fact, they left the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and compassion and love, so they could preserve heritage. And once we get into the business of preserving heritage, we are no longer Christians. Because that's not our call. Our call is to live a life with Christ. So now he's saying, if I speak in Coptic, I don't even understand what I'm saying. So we'll say a word here or there, we'll say a shlil here or there. Because by and large, we have to say stuff from our hearts. And I can't pray to God if I'm praying in another language. It's very simple.
وانا اروح الموت اسال نص الشمس الموجودين ما يفهموش الابت اللي بيقولوه شاف صحيح بيشوفوه في الشاشه said if I ask half the deacons here, you don't even understand the things you're saying. Big time, right? So we're talking about the spirit, and St. Paul says that the law kills, and the spirit gives life. Once we focus on the law, it's a problem. It's a very simple message. I hope everyone understood. Any parts anyone didn't understand? I think you all understood. Okay. So since I'm, you know, showing videos, I'll show this one as well. Someone sent this to me. It's on Instagram. It's also a sermon in Arabic. So forgive me, just... More Arabic. Hopefully, I have internet connection. I do not. Christ Redeemer AP or guest AP. Then you hook me up. Okay. Uh, how do I get volume? Oh, there it is. There it is at the bottom. Okay. How do I start over? Oh, I'll just hit refresh. Come on, baby. There it is. Okay. So this priest is giving a sermon. It's a little sermonette. And you can see there's like little flashes of butterflies and angels behind him. And there's nice, beautiful music. But I want you to listen to what he says. He said, worship God in fear and trembling. Okay? I want you to look at his face as he's talking to us. Do you see the deep point he's making? When the deacon says, Worship God in fear and trembling, he says, Everybody sits. Samson, 
طب المسيح اللي بيشل ده موجود حاجات غريبه جدا بنعملها في الكنيسه صح؟ كان الناس يقول لك حاجتين لفظين في القداس مره يقول اسكتوا ومره يقول احنا Okay, so that sermon was when the deacon says, worship God, you should bow and not sit. So the entire sermon is about bowing versus sitting. Let's just think about that for a second. Let's kind of unpack it a little bit. What's wrong here? The whole talk is about that. Now, the first problem, of course, is there's pews in the church. You can't bow. You have to sit. So right off the bat, maybe the people on the aisle can bow, but that's about it. Yes, Ron. You got here for like three seconds. You are over decades. So let me, and that in the early church, there were no pews. In fact, you go to monasteries, no pews. Uh, and our, and actually our, our church and uh, our chapel in St. Paul. So we have the big church and then we have made a little church. We, uh, you know, we went to great lengths to make sure there's no chairs in there, right? Just a few chairs on the edges, maybe for older people who can sit during, but, but we wanted people to stand. So we wanted to give it that feel. And there is, of course, a value to a prostration. That's different than anything else, right? And the, in the Orthodox Church, we always incorporate the physical and the spiritual together, right? Because one reinforces the next, okay? So this is, and I'm glad you said this, because this is certainly not, we shouldn't have rituals. Not at all, right? Uh, that's what we do. As, uh, you know, that's, that's what the Orthodox Church is, right? And, and, the, and the addition of pews prevents prostration, You know, so you can go back and say, let's remove the pews so we can prostrate, whatever. But I want you to listen, but I want to talk about this talk and the way it was delivered. So this whole talk is about sitting versus bowing, right? The entire thing. Did he talk at all about our relationship with Christ? Did he talk about loving our neighbors? Did he talk about love at all? Did he talk about anything Christ talked about? It even mentioned Christ. He mentioned a legalistic ritual, and he talked about it extensively. And the question is, what kind of God is he portraying? Because now I'm listening, and I'm thinking, wow, God's pissed because I sat. And God really wants me to bow. Right? And so now I'm portraying a God That's different than Jesus. I'm portraying a God who's like, Sayyidina Bikhush, and you have to stand, and you sit. Which also leads to kind of the way he was talking. 
It was very judgmental. It was very condemning. It was condescending. It was insulting. He talked at us. He talked at us. And he made a face. He kind of looked at you like, and you're just sitting. And, and I left this talk. I'm not inspired. I'm not happy. I'm not aiming for loftier things. I don't want to go out and serve God and love the poor. I feel bad about myself because, yeah, I sit. I should prostrate. He's using shame and guilt to attack his own congregation, letting them know I turn around and I look at all of you and you're all sitting and I'm disappointed. And at some level, he's sort of judging his own congregation and he's doing it based on outside appearances. He's doing it based on what it looks like from the outside. He didn't ask what your heart was like, what you felt, how you should feel when bowing, what's happening with you and God. But rather the bow was the thing. And if you didn't bow, you didn't do the right thing. And so now people, the worst part of this is the person who bows. Because what happens is I hear this sermon, I go, you know what, Abuna's right. I'm going to bow. And so the next time it comes, I'm going to bow. And you know what I'm going to think? I'm killing it. Look at me bow. Look at me be good. Look at me itameya. And I'm so good. Now, I still hate my brother. I still hate my mom. I still hate my friends. And I hate a lot of people. But I'm bowing. I'm righteous. I've achieved something good. Now, what gets worse the people bowing are now looking back at the people not bowing. What are they thinking? You're not good like me. Abuna said you're supposed to bow and look at you not bowing. So I'll be on the ground. I'm bowing, but I'm not really bowing. I'm looking back at all the people not bowing. And I'm, what am I doing? I'm judging them, aren't I? I'm thinking I'm better than they are. I'm thinking they didn't listen to Abuna. And why am I thinking that? Why am I judging them? Because Abuna maybe inadvertently empowered me to judge them because he judged them and he told me this is the basis on which we judge and this is the basis on which this is right and this is wrong and so it gives me freedom to judge others because i achieved righteousness in quotes by this ritual now unfortunately this is the story of many things that happen in the coptic church right we look at some ritual i'll tell you guys a story and this story really impacted me. When I was little, I was little, 30 years ago. Uh, I was like 19 or 20 years old. And we were dressing deacon, you know. And back then, we didn't dress deacon. We didn't wear our white tonya for matins. We only did it after matins was over. And so the very first blessing of the tonyas, right, after matins is over, we're all in there. And this one deacon says to my abuna, who happened to be my uncle, and he said, abuna, we should institute a new policy, only people who attend the first blessing should have their tonyas blessed. Everyone else who comes after you should tell them no because you're late. Okay? And so my uncle kind of looked at him. This is an older gentleman, one of the power deacons. And my uncle looked at him and said, you know, uh, how far away do you live from church? And he said, two miles. And he said, okay, and how old are your kids? And he said, well, they're grown. This guy's like 60, 65. His kids are out of the house. And his kids don't go to church anymore, by the way. 
And he said, well, you live two miles away. What about the person lives 30 miles away? And you don't have any kids that you have to get ready. And you're an old man and you wake up early because old people wake up early. What about the person who has three kids to get ready and diapers and fed and everything else? You're going to make them not get dressed because they had to feed all their kids and get ready and drive here 30 miles, but you don't. And then he finished it with a line I'll never forget. He said in Arabic, but I'll translate it. He said, there's justice and there's mercy. And I will always pick mercy over justice. And I just like, wow, mic drop. They didn't have mic drops back in the day, but if they did, that's exactly what I would have done. And the guy, and then he just looked at him, any other comments from anyone else? Guy's just silent. Right? This guy's trying to be a Pharisee. Right? And he, he got put in his place. And unfortunately, we have a lot of Pharisees now. We have a lot of uh, ISIS in our Coptic church, Coptic ISIS. And they love these things. Because I'll tell you why they love these things. Because it makes you feel good about yourself. right? Because I, I can suddenly be a good person. And I'm not. And I don't like not being a good person. I want to be a good person. So I can look and say, I came before the gospel. Did you? Ah, oh, you didn't come before the gospel. Hmm. Fast on Friday. You don't fast? For, oh, you didn't fast this Friday? Oh, yeah, we fast in our family. And that air is toxic. It's not just toxic to everyone in the church who no longer wants to come to the same church as this individual. It's toxic to the person because it produces the picture I showed earlier of the Pharisees. It, it produces the righteousness, self-righteousness, because the Pharisees ultimately were always right. And you can be always right and be very, very wrong. And that's the symptom of what we're seeing in the church. Rules inform or condemn an encounter with God's love goes deep and heals. Every time we encounter God, it heals us. When we encounter rules, they condemn us. They make us feel bad. And that's how you can tell the difference. When people met Christ, they were inspired. When the Samaritan woman met Christ, even though he called her out on her sin, the way he did it, she left and became the first preacher. You got to hear about this guy. And she didn't say, you got to hear about this guy just because he's a miracle worker. No, 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 no. He's a nice guy too. And he looks at me with love. And he didn't judge me or hate me like everyone else does. And that's why I'm preaching his name, not because he, he is a miracle worker. Plenty of those around. And I, this verse, well, actually one of the youth sent me this to me. He says, the products of righteousness are the virtues. That's what wisdom of Solomon says. The product of righteousness. So righteousness produces virtue. Virtue does not produce righteousness. And so sometimes we flip it in the church. Right? The root is a good person does good things. Doing good things doesn't make you a good person. Or even doing rituals doesn't make you into a good person. You are not good because you came early to church. But good people come to church early. Does that make sense? Right? And so the direction of the causality we flip, we say, hey, that guy's a saint. He's always here early. I'll come early and that will make me a saint. It just doesn't work like that, right? We can't manufacture holiness like that by adhering to certain things and doing certain things. It just doesn't work like that. We have to let God work in us. 
God fix us. Right? I can't force it by doing stuff. Yes, let's ask questions. to teach reverence in the church right so like when when do you learn what what to do in the church when do you there are certain things that you you should do and you shouldn't do like i can't walk in here with a cup of coffee during the liturgy or see somebody like like because i don't have a cup of coffee i don't look at them and say well i'm not drinking coffee so i'm better right but we still have to there's still reverence that we have to teach, and that sometimes comes through rules. I, where's the where's the line? Because you in that sermon, I agree with you about the way, but I also think that, like, for for a priest to get to that emotion to say that, it wasn't the first time, or it was it was probably something that has built up. And now he looks back and, oh, it's time to sit. And all these people are just like, maybe they're sitting like this, worshiping and trembling, right? And like, it's not like you're saying that, oh, if I bow, I'm worshiping. And like, I, I understand what you're saying, but you have to set a standard somewhere. So um, I, lots to say. Uh I mean, so I'll step back, like just going back to that video. Um, I mean, I grew up in a church that when the deacon said, uh, bow your heads, we didn't bow, we didn't prostrate, we only bowed our heads, right? So I actually very much agree with this, right? So I, I never sit, I always prostrate, right? And I don't think it's appropriate to sit, okay? So that's my position. And so... I don't think we disagree on the position because that's what it is, right? And this is the descent the party's talking about is the descent of the Holy Spirit, right? So if we truly believe what's happening, then you have no other reaction other than, than to prostrate, I would imagine. So I don't think that's, I don't disagree with anything he said, right? Um, but I have a big problem with how he said it, why he said it, the approach he took, what he didn't say, how he didn't inspire me. He didn't give me the why. He didn't make me love God. He didn't do anything like that. And in his defense, the people he was speaking to don't necessarily react well to that other stuff that I just said. They, they kind of come from a culture where like, you know, like, I mean, you know, it's famous. Egyptian education is, you know, you ihfaz, and don't if him, right? And you memorize. And if you don't memorize, someone's going to hit you with a shoe, 
and then you do memorize and then that's education right so that's the world he comes from right so he has a lot of people who are like you got to hit him with a ship ship on their face right or their head hate face is harsh and then they learn and then they follow bigazma right which okay is fine maybe in that culture the problem is in this culture that's very off putting to a lot of people and you obviously have enough you know gazma hitting from your own childhood to know you're like yeah okay you know he's just trying to get you to do what he wants you to do you know i mean it's okay right but the, your kids won't be like that right and your kids kids won't be like that and there's a lot of adults who aren't like that now we could shake our fists at the adults and say well that's because they're bad americans but that seems to be the direction all of us are heading right this kind there's kind of american in the title of this church right so the problem is this approach doesn't resonate in this culture and it doesn't inspire okay and the worst part is it's not christ like it's actually the other religion like and so Christ didn't do what, what he did. He never said a sermon like that. He never said, you have to follow the ritual. He never said, you can't have a cup of coffee in the church. Right? And so even your approach of, well, we got to have standards. We got to, do we? I challenge that. Right? Because a standard is an outside appearance. It's a look. I can easily game it. Right? And then what? Well, the church is now reverent, is it? Is it holy? What makes it holy? In fact, the person who gave this talk, he, he said something that um, is everything wrong. He said, we don't allow anything profane to enter our church. Nothing not holy. He, in fact, used the cup of coffee example. He says, you know what the Protestants do? They have coffee in the church. What are they even doing at that point? What kind of religion is that? I'm like, that's it? Coffee in the church is what you're going to throw this religion away for that reason? Are you that shallow? Right? So, and when he said nothing profane is allowed in the church, I thought to myself, am I allowed in the church? I'm kind of profane sometimes too. Am I worthy? I didn't think I felt worthy after his talk. I felt he felt he's worthy, and he certainly didn't think I was worthy. So that approach is so off-putting to young people, right? And this insistence on only holiness comes into the church is not biblical, it's not patristic, it's nothing Christ ever said or taught. I don't know where it came from. I actually can't find references for it, right? So where is this coming from, right? Where I have to protect the church from the bad outside world, Church is the hospital. That's what St. John Chrysostom said, right? Jesus said, I'm the physician. If you're not sick, you don't need me, right? If you're not sick, you don't need me. You don't, you don't need to even come to church. Don't come, right? So, so we have a lot of this kind of attitude, you know? And, you know, when, when I see the girl walk in with the blue hair and the tats all over her face, I think to myself, she's more welcome than the bishop is in this church. And I, I you know, if Sedna walks in, say, Sedna, can you can you move aside? The, the girl with the blue hair is in here. She's why she's why we have this church. It's not for you, right? So, 
that has to be our approach. We can't say, oh, I'm sorry, you're profane. You know, your problem is you're sick. So when you stop being sick, you, you, you need to stay outside the hospital until you get better and then you can come in, right? And what we want people to do is we want people to get better in here. So they come in all ugly and broken and diseased. And so I'm not sure that maintaining standards is something you do from the outside, right? I think you teach reverence and you teach love, but you do it through example, through your own approach. You know, when you, when you see a child walk in with shoes into the altar and some guy tackles him, you know, or, or, you know, makes this big deal, kid walking up on the communion line and they run up and they make this whose kid is this and they want to bring the mom up in front of everyone just to shame them and be the hero that's a criminal act that man should be tried for crime as far as I'm concerned right that's criminal what he just did and many people act like that and it it's disgusting right because I mean like let's just take shoes Catholics wear shoes, Russians wear shoes, Greek Orthodox wear shoes. We're the only ones who don't wear shoes, right? Now, we found a, a verse that says, oh, you know, Moses didn't wear a shoe. Okay, I found a verse after the fact, right? There's lots of reasons why we probably don't wear shoes, including mosques. They don't wear shoes either. A little bit of coincidence, right? So it's not a big deal, right? Now, is there a nice spiritual meditation? Absolutely, right? Do I wear shoes? No, right? Is it haram? No, it's not the end of the world. What's worse is I depict to this little three-year-old boy who God is. And I depict him as this crazy guy. And that kid's traumatized. Over what? Over a rule, right? And so now I've held on, just like Christ said, you, 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 you swallowed the camel, but a piece of mint gets stuck in your throat. This is what he said about the Pharisees. You swallow the camel, but you, you, can't, you get stuck on a little thing, right? And that's what we do, right? And so, you know, am I going to get stuck on a cup of coffee? Am I going to get stuck on a kid saying no? Right? Those, I, those are the, there's the meteor parts, right? There's justice and love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness, right? And so we start clinging on to these other things and we start noticing them. It leads to... I think other things, but I mean, your, your point's well taken. Like, yeah, I mean, can't be a free for all, right. And all that stuff. But the question is how you impart that spirit is as important, if not more important than what you're saying, because you can be right and very wrong. And that's the point I want to make. Yeah. Um, we prost we here's why we prostrate or should be prostrating right because of this because some people the kneeling the way that they do it but you're right they're looking around but people could be bowing but it's like their heart it's really about the heart it's not about the sitting right and so we teach the reverence because you have the body and the blood of christ or you have whatever it is right and that's why some of the rules are in place it's because of god and the presence of god and all and so i think that's probably what the that should be the intentions. Yeah, exactly. And and that, that would be wonderful, right? But, I mean, I give talks like that, right? We I talk about things like that. What is that time and how do we respond and how should we feel, right? And 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 more so even 
you know, like the, the part he's talking about, this is called the epiclesis, which is the descent of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a descent on the body and the bread and the wine, but it's also a descent on everyone in the church, right? So it's, in, in fact, if you look at the words of the priest that he says in silent, he talks about descending not just on the gifts, but on everyone in the church, because all of us are called to be transformed into Christ at that moment, right? So the descent is on all of us. It is an amazing moment in the church, right? And our prayer should always be, change me into you at that moment. Just like you're changing the bread and the wine, change me, make me you, right? And 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 as we all participate in this body and become a part of this body, right? So it is a magnificent moment, right? But again, my point isn't the, the thing, right? Again, Pharisees were right, it's the approach and the way it's said and how it's said and the, and the heart that says it. Is there love there or not? Do you see it in the eyes or not? Right? Because, you know, it's like when, when someone's yelling at you and you just see their eyes yelling, it doesn't matter if they're right. I mean, how many parents have yelled at kids, screamed bloody murder at their kids? Parents are right. The kid's looking at you he can't hear what you're saying because he's so traumatized because the person that's supposed to be the source of love has lost their freaking mind, right? And so the kid isn't listening anymore. Now, the parent can say, I, but I'm right. Oh, I know you're right. That's not the point. What's that? I have a sincere struggle in that religion hits different people very differently. Some people emotionally react with religion and some people may not have the same almost instinctive neurological hormonal response. Now, what I was always told is you go along with the prescribed, the proscribed prayers and the proscribed rituals and the feelings will follow. So is it wrong to force yourself to do something you're not feeling and I don't mean that as a challenge. I mean that I'm too cerebral. My brain, even though I'm emotional in some areas, religion is not, it's, it's not, it didn't come easy for me. As a matter of fact, after you had met me and I was this pain in the rear, I was for about two years an atheist, an avowed atheist evolutionist, and I stopped attending church. Uh, but you didn't know that about me. But, Partly thanks to UCLA, um, and also partly thanks to Copta Club at UCLA, I found my way back. So, is fake it till you make it bad spiritual advice? Mm -hmm. So that's a very good question, and I think what you're what you're talking about is kind of the wisdom in in having um, structure, right? And so. You know, for example, I take a third grader and I say, you know, every day I want you to memorize some of your times tables. And he's like, but I don't feel like memorizing my timetable today. And you're like, well, why don't you go ahead and do that anyway, right? And then, you know, you may feel it, you may feel it later, it, but it's going to come in handy at some point, right? And so we do this with kids, right? We'll say, you know, memorize the prayer of Thanksgiving, memorize our father, memorize Psalm 50, memorize a psalm. And you're like, yeah, but I don't feel like it. Well, but you're little. And one of these days, this psalm's going to come in really handy. You know, and all of us have had that experience where 
the thing we really didn't want to do, we did, and it was great, right? So there's a there's a wisdom and a discernment in 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 structure, especially when people are little, right? But the point I'm making now as adults is we don't grow up, right? And we kind of stick with that mindset of I'll just keep doing these things. Now, if I'm doing these things and I don't feel it yet, but one of these days I want to feel it and maybe I'll just keep praying, that's great. That's normal. But what's dangerous is, no, I'm, I, I, I learned it. That's good enough. I said it. That's good enough. I'm doing it. That's good enough. And once you lose sight of the fact that there has to be more, then you have a problem, right? Because... That's the self-sufficiency of the Pharisees, right? I have the law. I don't need God. I don't care. I did it right. And it reached such a point of self-righteousness that when God was standing in front of them, they didn't even recognize him. Unfortunately, every once in a while, I meet someone in the church and I think, wow, Jesus was right in front of you. You'd crucify him again, right? Because you're so stuck on the rules, right? And you don't see, like this quote, the spiritual life doesn't consist in keeping commandments and going to church and saying prayers and reading the Bible and fasting from certain food. That's not the spiritual life. Those things are essential. They are absolutely important. Without them, you just perish. So that's how important they are. But they are not the end in and of themselves. They are a means to an end. You do those things to open yourself up to the grace of God, right? And so the problem is, is when I stop at them as a means to an end, as, a, as, as the end, I did the things and I feel really good about doing the things. And once I feel really good about doing the things, I get to judge everybody else who doesn't, right? And this is why, you know, people like Abun Shoy Kamal will tell you, anyone who judges anyone else doesn't see their own sin. And that's such a true statement. You know, I mean, I'm going to be judgmental. When someone starts judging another person to me, that's the first thing I think. is like, holy moly, you don't, you don't see your own sin. How could you? Right? I mean, if I'm, if I'm in that position and all I see is my sin, I'm really going to talk about someone else? I don't have time for that. I got my own issues. So this is what he's talking about. These things are absolutely essential. Like you said, fake it till you make it. You know, I, I, I don't know if I use it like that, but close enough. But he says they're not the end, and that's the problem. That's where the Pharisees went wrong. What's that? The problem is when you think you made it. You think you made it, right? And the day you think you made it, heaven help you. Yes. You didn't know how off the rails I was. Huh? You never knew how off the rails I was. <laughs> I guessed. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Thing. This is like a widespread issue, like, you know, that we have in our church and that we rely on all these things. These are like our goals rather than turning to our Bibles, for example, and we, we don't really have this like strong relationship with our Bibles, just like as a church culture, 
Like it's not really huge. How do we transition? How do we bring our kids as they're growing up? Like how do we kind of get away from focusing so much on the things being the goal and focusing on this is your spiritual journey. This is your relationship with Christ. This is your Bible. This is you doing the work versus, hey, you just show up to these things and you just show up to all these talks and you just show up. This is how we do, this is how we do Christianity. We just show up and we listen and we don't struggle individually. So how do we transition that? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And I think, um, you know, that's above my pay grade, right? So, you know, like, um, I mean, it, that's a calling. And that's not all our callings. That's very few people's callings. Um, the, way I, the way I view it and the way I've always viewed service is, you know, I get a plate in front of me, right? And that's, that's my plate. I don't care about your plate. I don't know what's on your, I don't know if you finished your plate. Did you take too much? Did you not eat everything? It's not, I, I can't control you, right? All I can control is what's on my plate. And the person that stands right in front of me, I'm going to serve with all my heart and all my love. And that's all I can do. I can't serve the person three people over, right? And God brings to me who he needs me to interact with, right? And for most of us, that's our family. And that's it, right? So, you know, you know, Michael Jackson says that I'm standing with, the, starting with the man in the mirror, right? It's perfect, you know. Um, and that's ultimately the only the only thing we have, because you're gonna, you know, you'll you'll die very frustrated if you're waiting for the church to change, right? That's how that's how you become a bitter, jaded old person, right? And you just shake your fist at everybody, and everything's bad, and everything else, right? And so, you know, even a talk like this for me. Um, you know, honestly, this is not, I don't like to give a talk like this. I would rather give, you know, here's what's right versus here's what's wrong. Um, but I have been asked and put in that position. And so by Sayedna, so that's why I do this now, you know, um, but that's not something I uh, go to very often. it's more just if that's something I'm thinking of then I'm just going to pursue that for my family be. and that's it just be and just be and that's exactly. just what's important that's how I see things yes and that's and I'm just going to do that for the pe like the family that's right exactly. before me and that's it and 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 when you be and when you do God will put people in your life and you will affect others I mean, St. Seraphim says, you know, acquire the Holy Spirit and a thousand around you will be saved. That's a very true statement. Right? I mean, you look at someone like Abu Nabshoi Kamil, you know, he was a priest for 20 years. He's been dead for 50, and we're still talking about him. Right? So how did that happen? He's fire. Right? Everyone he touched, fire. Right? So... You can have a very strong impact, right? And we have so many stories of, of lay people who just, you know, the people who discipled Abu Nabshoi Kamil, you know, they're like, there's these uncles out there in Egypt who just, you know, discipled all the priests, 
you know, and they're all, they all call him, you know, uncle, right? So it's amazing what you can do, right? But that should never be my objective, right? If God calls me, I will. But I, I don't want to impose my will and say, this is what I think I should do because I see a problem and I'm going to fix it because it's really easy for me to fix a problem in you and not to see the one in me. So you got to start with you. And if you start with you, you're going to be working on you for a good couple of decades. So and when you're done with you, then we could talk about somebody else. But Yes. No? Spirit kind of um, sending messages, like small little messages, like throughout the day. Um, there was a talk by Buna Anthony Paul that I had listened to where he says, um, essentially, when you when you don't hear those things or you dismiss them, over time, um, you know, you hear them less and less. And eventually the Holy Spirit, like, actually goes away, mm. right? Like, you lose, I guess, the ability to hear or feel the Holy Spirit around you. So I guess my question is, like, when you feel like you've gotten to that point, how do you get it back? Mm. That's a beautiful thank you to write. Um, this is this is I think sort of that. No, 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 no. I I I, I can see him saying something like that. Um I I agree with that sentiment that um, I mean, maybe it's it's not as stark as that. Like, okay, yeah, you know, sucks to be you. You know, you, you lost the Holy Spirit. You know, go sit in a hole and you know pound sand, right? But um, so this this quote's very nice. He talks about asceticism, which is something we practice a lot in the church, and he talks about it as emptying of the self. But to attain to the Spirit of God, to open oneself to it, to receive the gift—that is what all the ascetic practices of the church are about. Right. So he's basically saying, and this kind of comes back to what, you know, you're saying and what you're saying is when I feel like I don't have that Holy Spirit, he says, that's what all these ascetic practices, the rituals of the church are all about. Right. I, these rituals and these ascetic practices are there to open me back up, force me, you know, if I've kind of got stuck, you know, by being rigid and having rules that are consistent, that are time, not time dependent. Um, that opened me back up, right? So it's kind of a push, right? So I don't, I'm not feeling it, blah, blah, blah. Church says, well, we're all fasting. Yeah, I don't feel like fasting, well, but we're going to fast now, right? And it's kind of a push to open me back up, even though I closed off God to myself, right? So, you know, seasons are a beautiful thing, right? I mean, God made seasons for a reason, right? And, and, and it's, and it works, right? You know, there's, there's this, the summer season and then there's winter and everything dies, right? And then, Spring comes and everything comes back to life, right? And there's a reason we have this. And in the church, we have seasons in the same way, right? Because you can't just be holy all the time. It's hard, right? And so the church says, you know, we're going to take Lenten season and we're going to really focus. Let's all just dig deep. A couple months, let's do it. And then after we're done with that, you're not allowed to fast. You're not allowed to do a matanya. Not allowed, not allowed to fast, right? And so the church is saying, no, no repentance, not, not no repentance, but no asceticism, 
You have to feast. It's forcing you to be happy. Every tune is happy, everything, right? So the church pushes us in this way, right? When I lose it, 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 it forces. And every year you kind of start over again, right? So he says, when you don't have asceticism, when you don't have fasting, you don't have vigil, you don't have praying, you don't have church services, Bible readings, forcing oneself to struggle with one's passions and so on well, then you have no life at all, right? So again, you see, I'm not saying don't, we, we don't need, we absolutely do, right? Because that's the push that helps us get out of the rut. You have no life at all, certainly no life as Christians understand it. Put it starkly, you're in the hands of the devil, right? And so just being left alone is, isn't good, right? And we need this, this rigid season, seasonality, right? Where now we're all going to focus on the birth of Christ and this m marvelous miracle, right? And just let's just take 40 days and just talk about that, right? And now we're going to stop talking about that and we're going to talk about you, and your repentance. And we're going to stop talking about that. And now we're going to talk about Jesus' res resurrection. And then we're going to stop talking about that. And we're going to talk about service, which is what the season we're in now. And then we're going to stop talking about that. And we're going to talk about something else. Right? And that's, that's the process. I think, I don't know if I answered your question. Any other questions? Good questions. Bad questions. David Wada, some of the most high God. All right, that's all I have. Glory be to God forever, amen.